Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're doing a special class titled Developing Your Breathing Mindfulness Meditation Practice because it's been quite a while since I've taught meditation and how the Buddha taught this throughout his life, which leads to enlightenment. And this particular meditation, Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, is the primary style of meditation that the Buddha taught, as he said, this is the one thing that leads to enlightenment. Of course, there's lots of other things that a practitioner needs to learn and practice in order to get to enlightenment. But in terms of a priority of the meditations that he taught and other things, if someone isn't meditating, they're not going to be able to make it to enlightenment. So it's really important that you develop your meditation practice. And today is a great time to refresh your memory if you've been in this program for any length of time, because it's been a good two months since I've taught this particular content that I'm going to be sharing. And if you've recently found us either on Facebook, YouTube, our podcast, or any other places that we share content, then this will be an opportunity for you to learn the style of meditation that I teach that is directly connected to the path to enlightenment from the Buddha. So I'm really pleased that you decided to join because developing your practice in this way is what's going to ultimately help you to move the mind to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where the mind can be unaffected by all the things that are going on around you, whether it's relationships, whether it's things that are happening in society, whether there's things at your jobs or things at home, whatever's going on, the more that you dedicate time to learning and practicing these teachings, you can move the mind to a point where it'll be unaffected by all these things around you. And your meditation practice is a primary aspect of your life practice that you need in order to move the mind to enlightenment. So just like you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation, you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment with only meditation either. So that's why that this program is a seven month program to help guide you and walk you through all the various resources that we have in order to help you along the path. But since this is such a primary component of your practice, I would like to make sure that we dive into learning this and helping you to either refresh your memory, get some questions asked and answered, or if you've just recently found us, it'll be a great time for you to learn how I share meditation, which directly connects to the Buddhist teachings. As we go, you'll be able to ask questions by putting your question into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. 
Our moderators will see that and be able to get your question asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and the moderators will call on you and be sure you get a chance to ask your question or any follow-up questions directly. So let's go ahead and start to explore some aspects of meditation to help you develop your meditation practice. In understanding meditation and developing your practice, it's important that we start with a common definition, a common understanding of what meditation is. Because there's so much impermanence in the world, so many things are not permanent and fixed. Everybody looks at things in a different way and has a different perspective on things. Whenever I'm teaching a certain topic, I always like to start with just defining what it is that I'm actually teaching to make sure that we have a common understanding of what things are. So in this case, since we're talking about meditation, I like to define what is meditation so that when I say the word meditation, you know what I'm talking about. And it might not necessarily match with what you currently understand as meditation. Or it might not match to other people when you talk to other people about what meditation is and what meditation isn't. So it's really important as we talk about different topics in this program to really lay down a foundation to make sure we're talking from a common definition and a common understanding. So here, some basics about meditation is let's just get a common definition of what I'm referring to when I share the word meditation. This is a technique that is actively used to train the mind to either eliminate certain unwholesome qualities or cultivate various wholesome qualities in the mind. This is done through a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session. And this is typically done in the seated, lying, standing, or walking positions. So when you go for a drive in your car, it might be relaxing for some people to drive, but this isn't meditation. Or if you go for a jog or a run or a bike ride, this might be helpful for the body and the mind, but this isn't actually meditation. Or if you go gardening or you go do something like this or shopping or something, this may be beneficial to kind of lighten up your day, kind of allow you to focus on some other things, but it's not what I'm referring to as meditation. It's not what the Buddha referred to as meditation. I don't usually teach much Pali, but let me just share this one word of Pali. When the Buddha talked about meditation in the Pali Canon, they used the word bhavana. The word bhavana means to develop or cultivate. So that's what we're talking about here when we talk about meditation, that we're developing the mind, we're training the mind, we're cultivating the mind, right? So whenever we're meditating, we're involved in a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session to either eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities. And I'm going to talk to you in a bit about breathing mindfulness meditation in the other forms of meditation about exactly what are we eliminating from the mind and exactly what are we cultivating. Because that's utterly important. When you're developing your meditation practice, you need to understand what is the purpose, what is the goal, what are you looking to achieve. So here we're just talking about generally what is meditation, but later we're gonna be talking about the goals of what you should be doing in each individual meditation session. So. Now that we have this common definition that 
it's this active, dedicated, purposeful training session where you're either in the seated, lying, standing, or walking positions. Another thing that's really important as you develop your meditation practice is to be sure you have a meditation teacher that you can reach out to to get help. All too often nowadays, people look to things like YouTube or books or other things like this to develop their meditation practice. This is great. And you can use these type of resources that are available out there in the world. But if you just exclusively used these and you didn't have somebody that you could reach out to for guidance and support, you may find yourself getting into a bit of trouble. I've had a few students over the years that have contacted me that have been doing that for maybe two or three years. They've been meditating with YouTube videos or audio recordings or other things like this and their mind has gotten into some real difficult situations. And it's because they didn't have anybody to reach out to and get help as they were starting to see certain problems in their meditation practice. And I could tell you some very unfortunate stories of people that have worked their mind into some very difficult situations that's going to be very challenging for them to get their mind out of that. Whereas if they would have just had a meditation teacher to reach out to occasionally, to check in with, even if you share a question with your teacher and they say, that's completely normal, keep going, that can be some reassurance to help you know that you're on the right track and you've got that relationship with somebody that you can just check in with occasionally as you're progressing on this path. So be sure that you have somebody, whether it's me or somebody else, that you feel that you can trust and that you respect and that you feel has a good understanding of this path so that you can check in with them and get support as you need along the way. Now, once you understand what meditation is, now it's time to talk about the different types of meditation. Because the Buddha or Gautama Buddha taught four primary styles of meditation. And you can see these in his teachings if you end up looking closely at his words from the Pali Canon. The first type of meditation that he taught is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is a priority in his practice, in his path to enlightenment. He prioritized this style of meditation over all other meditations. It doesn't mean these other meditations aren't important and that they're not needed, but you're going to need to learn breathing mindfulness meditation as a way to develop your practice because without this style of meditation, you wouldn't be able to eliminate one of the primary problems that you're experiencing as an unenlightened mind or as an unenlightened being. Because the primary problem that the Buddha discovered that causes discontentedness is craving desire attachment. It's craving desire attachment in someone's own mind that causes all the discontentedness. So when you experience anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, any kind of dissatisfaction in the mind, this is all coming from craving desire attachment. And without understanding that, and diving into the Four Noble Truths, which we teach back in chapter four, without understanding that and practicing to establish right view and understanding the Four Noble Truths, you wouldn't understand how you're causing your own discontent mind. But once you understand that, then you also understand that the solution is to eliminate 
craving desire attachment and that's what breathing mindfulness meditation does because what craving desire attachment is is it's the mind longing for something with a strong eagerness it's the mind chasing after the objects of its affection well when you're in meditation and the mind is supposed to be focused on the breath but it goes to the past this is the mind having craving desire attachment it's longing yearning with a strong eagerness it has a certain object of its affection it doesn't want to stay in the present moment it wants to go to the past and what you're going to be doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is cutting that off letting it go and bringing the mind back to the present moment it's kind of like jerking the mind back to the present moment but then the mind's going to maybe want to go to the future Again, longing, yearning with a strong eagerness. The objects of its affection, it's chasing after something. The future. And where you observe that and the mind's not on the breath, you jerk it back. You cut it off and let it go. Or if there's any thoughts or ideas or perceptions that come into the mind during meditation, you cut that off and let it go. It's like jerking the mind back to the present moment. And the breath is the present moment. When you do this over multiple, multiple, multiple sessions, months, and also years, what you do is you slowly, gradually cut down this craving, desire, attachment where the mind's not comfortable in the present moment. And as you do, you're going to notice that the mind becomes more calm and more peaceful. During meditation, it's not a time to actually relax the mind. It's not a time to just zone out, become lazy, it's actually an active, dedicated, purposeful training session that you're aware of where the mind is. And if it's not on the breath, then you need to cut that off and let it go, bringing the mind back to the breath, jerking the mind back into the present moment. And over time, this helps you to eradicate craving, desire, attachment. There's other things that you need to do as part of this path to eliminate craving, desire, attachment as well. But this is a primary focus of the path. This is one of those unwholesome roots that you are eliminating as part of this meditation. What you're cultivating in this meditation is mindfulness or awareness of mind. While you're training the mind, you're going to have to be aware if it's on the breath or not. If it's not on the breath, then it's somewhere else and you've got to cut that off let it go and bring it back to the breath. So over time, not only are you eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, but you're also arising this wholesome quality of mind, which we call mindfulness or awareness of mind. And you're going to need this not only in meditation, but you're going to need it outside of meditation as well. Because when you're going throughout your day, if you observe sadness arise, or frustration, or irritation, or anger, any of these other discontent feelings, your mind will become more and more aware of that through deeply developing this awareness of mind in meditation. And when you're aware of that unwholesome qualities of mind arising, when you're aware of that discontentedness, then you can cut it off and let it go. But if you don't develop this mindfulness in meditation, and you don't train the mind to have this mindfulness, then you won't have it available to you when you're outside of meditation in your daily life. 
So while you're in meditation and any thought, anything comes to mind, you cut it off and let it go and bring it back to the breath. This is the training during meditation. But when you're outside of meditation, you're going to have thoughts. You're going to have ideas. You're going to have things that you're thinking about doing. And that's what you need in order to conduct your life. So don't get confused about what you're doing in meditation versus what you're doing outside of meditation. What I've described so far is what we're doing inside of meditation. We're developing this awareness of mind. We're eliminating craving, desire, attachment, cutting it off, letting it go. This is going to help develop concentration or singleness of mind. The mind is going to become more and more focused, more and more refined, more and more concentrated. And as a result of letting go of craving, desire, attachment, it's going to be more willing to reside in the present moment. But outside of meditation, when there's a thought that comes up, if it's a wholesome thought or a wholesome idea, then that's fine. That's completely normal. If you have an unwholesome thought, that's where with your mindfulness, you become aware of it and then you cut it off and let it go. For example, if you're sitting on a bus and you see somebody come in and you start judging them and you start looking down on them just by their appearance and you're aware of that, that's an unwholesome quality, you cut that off and let it go. You say, nope, I'm not gonna judge this person. That doesn't make sense. This is a human being. I should have nothing but loving kindness and compassion for this person. I'm not gonna judge them, right? If you notice anger starting to arise and sometimes you can feel the bodily sensation of anger or frustration, you can observe it just as a bodily sensation. And when you observe it there, outside of meditation, you cut it off and let it go. And as you do that more and more outside of meditation, eventually you get to the point where those discontent feelings won't arise anymore because you've jerked the mind back, you've cut these things off, and you've let them go. It's like trimming a wild bush, and you trim that wild bush back further and further all the way to the root, all the way to the stump, where it will no longer grow ever again. But you can't get to that outside of meditation if you haven't done the work inside of meditation. So while we're in meditation, anything that comes to mind, you don't label it, you don't judge it, you don't try to figure out where it's coming from, you don't try to analyze it, you don't feel guilty or shameful that your mind is not on the breath because the mind needs that training. If it's not on the breath, that just means it needs more training. So wherever you notice that the mind is off the breath in meditation, you cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. This is going to cultivate your awareness of mind. It's going to eliminate this craving, desire, attachment, and you're going to notice more and more concentration in meditation, but then also that benefits you outside of meditation because now the mind's going to be more focused, more concentrated. You're able to do just one thing at a time rather than try to do two, three, four, five things at a time. You just focus on one task at a time outside of meditation in your daily life. And wherever you notice any kind of discontent feelings or any kind of unwholesomeness arise, you cut it off, let it go, and you just move on with your day. This is how you actively work to train the mind to let go of craving, desire, attachment, and let go of this discontentedness. There's other stuff that you need to do, but this is a primary component of it. 
So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have before I talk any further. And remember, the way to ask questions is to put your comments into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. I was wondering about the act of cutting off thoughts. Is that simply ignoring the thought and moving on to a clear mental space or the next thought? I was just wondering if you could explain that a bit. Yeah, it can be that where like if you notice the thoughts coming up is just literally kick it out of the mind and ignore it. Or like say you're sitting on a sofa at home and you're feeling bored, you're feeling lonely, like, oh man, I just feel so lazy today. This is discontentedness coming up in the mind. Now, granted, you've already rested at other times and you know you're rested. This is just boredom that's coming in. Well, if you notice that, sometimes the way to cut that off is just get up and go outside for a walk. And that's your right effort, applying effort to eliminate this unwholesome quality of craving, desire, attachment of this boredom and loneliness and just go outside for a walk or go do some project in your house or go do some other activity. So sometimes cutting off these thoughts that are unwholesome require you to move the mind in a different direction than it currently is in. So in a case of where you're sitting on a bus, you know, you can't go out for a walk. So yeah, it's going to be ignore that thought and just kick it off to the side and start looking at the person's wholesome qualities instead of focusing on, wow, look, their hair is a mess. Their clothes are all dirty. They're wearing their hat on backwards. I bet they're into all kinds of bad stuff. You know, the mind can kind of look at these little things that are just simple things. The person just chose to wear their hat backwards and their hair just doesn't look the way you expect it to look. Their clothing isn't as clean as maybe other people that you've seen, but these are all just expectations that the mind is throwing out there and trying to judge this person for. So instead, kind of look at the wholesome qualities like, oh, wow, this person's so lovely. You know, look at how polite they are to their partner or look at how they're just politely walking through the aisle and being sure not to hurt anybody as they're stepping through the aisle. This is so kind of them. So sometimes you have to take that unwholesomeness that the mind wants to identify all these disgruntled things to focus on and just say, nope, we're not doing that today. We're going to look at the positive side of this situation. Because an enlightened being is always going to be able to see the positive side. They're not going to look at the negative side. They know that it's there. They know that it exists, but they choose not to focus on that, especially as it relates to a person or an individual you choose to focus on the positive side or if you're in a group and the group makes a mistake and you guys don't meet your goals and objectives instead of sitting there and complaining about all the mistakes that everybody made and how we didn't meet our goal and objective an enlightened being knows that those mistakes are in the past and the best thing you can do is now focus on solutions of how to move this group forward and actually achieve the goal that we set out for. So always focusing on the positive, focusing on solutions rather than the problems. And I suppose that as we encounter unwholesome thoughts, that's a very important lesson as well to practice non-judgment toward ourselves. Right, because as you're learning this path, you know, especially early on, it's a lot of work. 
uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, I would never describe anything about the Buddhist teachings as easy, but I wouldn't describe it as difficult either. But even though it's not easy at the beginning, the first six months, a year, maybe even longer for some people, it's quite challenging because you're trying to kind of reinvent how you've done things your whole life. You know, if you've been living for 30, 40, 50 years, however long you've been in existence, you've had a certain way of doing things. And while that's created discontentedness in the mind, it is a certain way that you've been doing things and the mind wants to hold on to that. It doesn't want to let go of these old habits and this old conditioning that the mind has. So that's where the real struggle is, is that the mind has this inward fighting, this inward struggle, this inward conflict where it's trying to hold on to these unwholesome qualities and these unwholesome habits that we've had. And there's this other side of the mind that's trying to let go of all that stuff. And as you're trying to let it go, it's quite challenging. So even though intellectually you might have learned the Buddhist teachings about things like the five factors of well-spoken speech. And you might have learned that and it makes so much sense and you can see how important it is to talk that way with everybody in your life. But for a good six months, a year, year and a half, however long, you're not quite able to do that. Each day you're shedding the old habits more and more and you're bringing your practice up closer and closer to the Buddhist teachings. But it's going to take many months for you to shed all these Uh, habits that you've had in the past. And when you see that you're not practicing the Buddhist teachings, rather than allow that guilt or shame or frustration to come in, just know like, okay, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm aiming to improve here. I've got goals. I've got objectives to improve my speech and use these five factors, but I'm not going to be able to do that at the snap of a finger. And I'm just going to constantly work at this and keep going and not allow anything to dissuade me in that process. Thank you, David. That's all the questions we have for now. Okay, so let's talk about the second most important meditation practice that the Buddha discussed. He talked about loving kindness meditation as being the second highest priority of training that any practitioner could undertake as part of this path to enlightenment. And the reason why is because this particular meditation deals with eliminating anger, hatred, and ill will. And there's all these other lesser versions of that, right? Like frustration, irritation, annoyance. So some people might say, well, I don't hate anybody, right? I don't wish anybody any ill will. Yeah, but there's still some people that you get annoyed with when you're around them. You get annoyed based on the way they function. So it may be not be hatred, but there's some other lesser versions of that. There's even things like jealousy or resentment. And the Buddha talked about how loving kindness meditation addresses those as well. So loving kindness meditation is where rather than sitting and just focusing on your breath, cutting off thoughts and letting it go the way that we do with breathing mindfulness meditation, here you're actually cultivating in the mind this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. You have this genuine interest in seeing beings be peaceful, be safe, be well, and be free of discontentedness. And we do this with rings. You start with yourself, and then you move out, and you create these larger and larger rings of including people 
who that you have difficulties with, people that you do have anger, hatred, or ill will, or any of these lesser versions towards. They may even be people that are completely out of your life that you haven't seen for 5, 10, 20 years, but the mind is still holding on. And that anger, hatred, ill will that's holding on in your mind, it's actually harming you. It's not harming that person. It's harming your own mind. So what loving kindness meditation is doing is training your mind to let go and eliminate any anger, hatred, and ill will. And then you can arise or cultivate this loving kindness or this active goodwill for all beings to be well this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And what I suggest for people to do is that if you're just starting out on this path or you're not quite comfortable and confident in your meditation practice yet, is develop your breathing mindfulness meditation first. And that can take a good four to six weeks or maybe longer. And get into the habit of two to three meditation sessions where you're able to meditate upwards of 30 minutes or more. And you're going to need to build up to that. Typically, when people first start, you know, they're at two or three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Over time, as this snowball gets moving, as you start getting this underway, you'll notice that it'll get easier and easier for you to meditate for longer and longer periods of time. And I suggest you do this without actually timing it, that you just sit for meditation and then you meditate, especially in the evenings or weekends when you have free time, you can just meditate. Maybe look at the clock beforehand and look at it afterwards just to kind of know maybe once a week how long you've been meditating. But you would like to build up to 30 minutes or more with breathing mindfulness meditation and you're doing that two or three times a day. And when you got some consistency on that and you're feeling really settled in your meditation practice, then that's the time to bring in loving kindness meditation. And I teach loving kindness meditation in this program as well. We're going to be doing that next week on Wednesday. So if you would like a refresher on loving kindness meditation, or if you've never learned loving kindness meditation with me or with a teacher, then be sure to tune in at the same time next week or watch the replay so that you can learn loving kindness meditation, because this is another vital, important component to your practice. These two styles of meditation are the two primary styles that every practitioner is going to need because the primary problems in the mind are craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. These are the three high-level problems that the Buddha discovered in the mind. And breathing mindfulness meditation takes care of one of those. Loving kindness meditation takes care of another. And then learning and practicing the teachings to see the truth, to acquire wisdom, takes care of the third one. And that's why you don't need to run out and learn 20, 50, 100 different meditations, because all the discontentedness in the mind is all stemming from the same problem, craving, desire, attachment. You don't need a special meditation for sadness, a special one for guilt, a special one for loneliness a special one for anger or what have you. All the discontentedness is all coming from craving, desire, attachment. So that's why that's the primary style that the Buddha taught to address this primary problem. And then that second problem of anger, hatred, ill will, that gets addressed through loving kindness. And then the third poison or the third unwholesome root of ignorance gets addressed through learning and practicing these teachings 
with a teacher and receiving guidance, but then not believing them, going off and independently confirming the teachings as you practice them, you see the truth for yourself that they're working to improve the condition of the mind. And then just like with breathing mindfulness meditation, your training with loving kindness meditation doesn't stop just in meditation. You can't just meditate for 20, 30 minutes per session and then you go outside and everything's wonderful in your day. You need to cultivate this loving kindness through meditation, but then practice loving kindness in daily life. What practicing loving kindness looks like is being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to everybody, right? Regardless of what inner feelings that you have right now about other people, you should train the mind to be able to smile, to be able to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with everyone that you encounter. Even if somebody's doing something unwholesome, even if there's things that you disagree with, even if you have a difference of an opinion with this person, there's no reason for us to be impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful. Because if we put that out into the world, that's what's gonna come back to us. So when we cultivate this loving kindness in the mind through meditation, we then bring it with us in daily life and we practice through our intentions, our speech, and our actions, being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And when we do this, because we're putting out these wholesome qualities, that's what will come back to us. So if you're living a life where you feel like people don't respect you, or you feel like people are rude or impolite, or you feel like people are unkind or unfriendly, you have to look at your own practice because whatever you're putting out is what's gonna come back to you. So you need to clean up your practice first. Then as you clean up your practice, there might be certain situations where you need to distance yourself from people, or you may need to actually eliminate certain relationships 100%. If you have been practicing these teachings and you know you're not causing any harm and you've been doing that for extended periods of time, but you still have friends or other people in your life that are being harsh and aggressive and unwholesome and disrespectful, it doesn't make sense for you to maintain these relationships because it's only going to serve to degrade your own mind and demotivate you on this path. What you would like to do is choose friends that are wholesome. These are wholesome friends, wholesome companions, wholesome comrades. That's what the Buddha used, these terms. And if that means you only have one friend, hey, so be it. Or if you only have two friends, so be it, right? It doesn't make sense to have 10, 20, 30 people around you that are all into all this unwholesome stuff and putting all this harshness and aggressiveness and hatred onto you. If you've got people like this in your life that are doing this, create some distance between you and them. You don't have to tell them you're doing that. You don't have to have any words with them and tell them that they're wrong about the way they're treating you. You don't have to say anything to them. All you need to do is just actively move towards spending less and less time around them and spending time with people who really value you and really appreciate you. Whether that's your kids and that's all you spend time with, great. Or whether it's your children and maybe one really close friend or maybe one really close family member, then that's great. Only spend time with people that are 
willing to be interested in having a wholesome relationship with you. If people are knocking you down and degrading you and calling you unwholesome things and talking negative to you or the people around you that you care about, these types of people aren't looking to build you up and they're not looking to support you in this life. So why continue to be around that? So we can actually clean up some of the unwholesomeness around us by just choosing to have certain relationships with people who are into wholesome things. It doesn't mean that you're judging this person. It doesn't mean you're looking down on them. This can be one of the most loving and kind things you do, which is practicing distancing yourself from people that are into unwholesome things because this can allow you to move on with your life and get into some wholesome relationships and it can allow them to realize that, okay, they need to move on as well. So part of practicing loving kindness meditation is having that loving kindness for yourself first. And a person who has loving kindness for themselves isn't going to surround themselves with a bunch of unwholesome things. You're going to look for things that are wholesome. And if that means stripping your life down to very basic, very simple things, then that's fine. And that's where you are right now. And then as you work on your own mind, developing your practice, six months, a year, two years from now, you can step out into having better relationships with people because your mind's now in a different place. These other two styles of meditation that I share, that the Buddha shared as well, are something that I teach in a different class, but I just left them on here so that you guys know that there's these two other styles of meditation that are more specialized styles of meditation. Not everybody's going to need these. As somebody has sexual cravings, there's an actual meditation you can do to eliminate that sexual craving, but you wouldn't do that until you already have breathing mindfulness meditation on board. So you would need to develop that first before you get into this other style. And then the same thing with meditation to realize non-self. There's a whole lot of preliminary work to do in order to build up to that. So these are two specialized meditations that a teacher can help you with when it's the appropriate time. But in terms of getting started, which this group learning program is all about for seven months, help you get started in your practice, It's only these first two, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation that you need to focus on to get started. So let me see if you guys have any questions on this before we move on to the next topic. I was wondering about the act of carrying over the mindfulness and loving kindness that we cultivate in meditation into our daily life. Is that simply where all the rest of the path comes into play? Yes. So... There's the whole path to enlightenment, those eight steps, the Noble Eightfold Path or the Eightfold Path. These meditations plug into that Eightfold Path. And these are aspects of the path that we need to be training on an ongoing, consistent basis that are part of the path that are helping you to cultivate the entire path. So, for example, as part of the first step, right view. Right view is all about the Four Noble Truths, which essentially helps you understand that craving is the cause of discontentedness and you're causing it yourself and that you can eliminate this through training the mind. That's a very small nutshell. 
Well, anybody who's choosing to meditate and they understand craving, desire, attachment is the cause of the problem, and you're working on that problem, which is your own mind, then at that moment that you're meditating, you're practicing right view because you see the problem is your own mind. The second step is right intention, which part of that intention is training the mind to let go, which is relinquishment. Part of that is practicing non-ill will or essentially loving kindness. And part of right intention is practicing harmlessness, which is part of loving kindness. So already right there in the first two factors of the path, you can see how these two meditations plug into that. But if we continue on this path, right speech, as part of right speech, practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, one aspect of that is speaking with a mind of loving kindness. You wouldn't be able to practice right speech without having cultivated loving kindness in the mind with meditation. Same thing when you get to right action. Part of right action is not killing, not stealing, eliminating unwholesome bodily conduct, not harming through our bodily conduct. So if somebody is practicing these meditations, it's going to help you practice right action better. And we can keep on going through this whole path, but when you get into the upper part of the path, like the mental discipline, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, this is really important that you're practicing this on an ongoing daily basis, but it's in meditation that you're cultivating those. So right effort is taking the effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. You're doing that outside of meditation. That's part of right effort. But meditation, that's what meditation's all about, is practicing to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. So if you're doing right effort and you're practicing this in meditation, then it will be easier for you to practice it outside of meditation. Same thing with right mindfulness. Right mindfulness is all about awareness of mind and having the awareness of these aspects of the mind that you need to eliminate and that you need to cultivate. So if you're practicing that in daily life, which you need in order to attain enlightenment, you need to be actively training for that in meditation so that then in daily life, you can be applying right mindfulness in all situations. And then the same thing with right concentration. That's what you need in daily life is to practice singleness of mind. But if you're not practicing it in meditation in a dedicated, active, purposeful training session, you're going to find it very difficult to practice it in daily life. So while meditation is a primary component of your practice, and I can describe it that way, we can also describe it as only 12 or 15 percent of your practice because it's the benefits that you cultivate in meditation that ultimately get used during your daily life as part of practicing the entire Eightfold Path that moves the mind into enlightenment. So when you're out there all the other hours of your day, if you're only meditating twice a day for 30 minutes, that's only one hour total. But you've got a whole nother 12, 16 hours of your day where you need to be practicing the entire Eightfold Path. And when you are aware of anger arising, you cut it off and let it go. Or when you're aware of that judgment of others arising, you cut it off and let it go. Or if you're aware of hatred arising in your day, 
towards somebody. You cut it off, let it go, and you arise loving kindness. So this is where a lot of the work is being done is outside of meditation. But you wouldn't be able to get to that if you hadn't been actively training in meditation itself. And would you say that there's a relationship such that as we cultivate mindfulness, it makes it easier to act in a wholesome way? But then as we act in a wholesome way, it probably makes it easier to cultivate mindfulness. Yeah, these things feed on each other, right? Like if you're meditating regularly, you're going to notice your day goes smoother if you're doing the work in meditation and you're doing the work in your daily life. But also if you're doing your work in your daily life, then it makes your meditation more deep. So these things really are in sync with each other and they feed off of each other. And this is why, like, if somebody was just meditating once in a while or, you know, just 10 minutes here and there, they're not going to see enlightenment. They're not even going to see the jhanas. They're not even going to get to those four jhanas. Uh, Likewise, if all somebody ever did was meditated, but they didn't practice the Eightfold Path in daily life, they're also not going to see enlightenment. And they're also not going to see the jhanas. It's not until you start putting all of these things together, this entire path, that you start seeing the jhanas. And the jhanas are a way for you to know as a practitioner, you're putting things together, you're headed in the right direction, and it's like the electrics flowing in the circuit. The switch hasn't been flipped yet, so to speak, but things are flowing, the juices are flowing. You're starting to put all this stuff together. So without all these things working together, you wouldn't be able to experience the benefits of this path. Thank you. There are no more questions at this time. Okay. So now let's go into some of the details of how to start meditation and conducting your meditation session. One of the things to keep in mind is I describe the body as being the employee and the mind as being the boss or the mind is the boss and the body's the employee. This is really important because sometimes in meditation, if you kind of aren't attentive to the body, then the mind is going to be inattentive and unalert. You need the mind to be attentive and alert because it's an active, purposeful, dedicated meditation session. So what you do is you relax the lower body, you relax the hands and arms, but you keep the upper body erect. By keeping the upper body erect, this keeps the mind attentive and alert so that you can access the mind during meditation. So if the body, if the employee was lazy and complacent and, you know, just unattentive, then it's not going to want to take you to go see the boss. If the body is luxurious, if the employees are luxurious, they're not going to want to take you to go see the boss because they're they're going to get complacent and too lazy. So that's why you need to keep the upper body erect. The Buddha talks about this in his teachings. He talks about sitting at the foot of a tree, crossing your legs, and keeping the upper body erect. The reason why is because it keeps the mind attentive and alert during your meditation. So think of the body as the employee And think of the mind as the boss. And you wouldn't want the body to be luxurious because they're not going to want to take you to go see the boss. But conversely, you also don't want the body to be in pain. You don't want to cause the employees pain because if you cause the employees pain, they're not going to want to take you to go see the boss. 
right? So if you're sitting and you feel pain in the hip or your knees or your ankles or anywhere else, don't just breathe through the pain. That pain is there for a reason. It's telling you something's wrong in the body. So shift the body, put a pillow here, sit in a chair, adjust whatever you need to adjust to get the body in a position where it's comfortable. That's the middle way. Not luxurious, not painful, but comfortable. And in this way, if you do that, you keep the employee comfortable. The employee will take you to go see the boss, right? But if the employee's too luxurious or it's painful, not gonna take you to see the boss and you're not gonna be able to train the mind. When the Buddha talks about meditation, he talks about setting up mindfulness in front of you. This is awareness of mind. So if you just came in from outside and you just plopped down and tried to do meditation, it's not gonna go as well for you as if you set up mindfulness in front of you. What mindfulness is, is awareness of mind. And the way you set up mindfulness in front of you is you kind of ease the mind into meditation. So here in Thailand, that would mean we come to our home or the temple or wherever, we're gonna meditate, we take off our shoes, we maybe go use the bathroom, kind of relieve the body of any fluids, maybe go sit, kind of relax, kind of shift the body, get it comfortable. Maybe we do some chanting as a way to kind of ease the mind into meditation, and then we start meditating. For someone else, they might choose to do a little stretching of the body. Someone might choose to do some prayer or some other things like this. But essentially what you would like to do is kind of ease the mind into meditation where you're slowly starting to become aware of the mind rather than just plop down into meditation. So this is really important for you that you kind of gradually start becoming aware of the mind rather than you're outside into some busy activity and now it's like someone flips a switch and boom, you're inside and trying to meditate and be super calm and peaceful. You need that kind of transitionary period in there to set up mindfulness or set up awareness of mind where you're gradually starting to become aware of the mind. When it comes to time, frequency, or schedule of meditation, you're not going to be able to permanently meditate for the same amount of time, the same frequency, or the same schedule. It's not possible. So if you set up for yourself to meditate at 8 a.m. every day in the morning, you might be able to do that for a period of time, but it's not going to be permanent because things in your life are going to shift. So what I suggest you do is you have kind of like anchor points, like maybe in the morning and in the evening, those are two anchor points where you meditate and you look to meditate those two times during the day. And if you happen to miss a morning session, then that's okay because you've got one in the evening. Or if you happen to miss an evening session, then you've got one coming up in the morning. But those are kind of like your two times, but they're not fixed times because you don't wake up and go to sleep at exactly the same time every day. So don't put pressure on yourself to stick to some rigid schedule. And then be sure not to set an alarm for your meditation. If you set an alarm for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, the mind's either going to be sitting there wondering, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Or you're going to be really deep in meditation, getting all kinds of benefit, and then the alarm's going to go off when you could have actually gotten a lot more benefit out of your meditation had you not set the alarm and just 
meditated for as long as you need. So whatever situations you can meditate without an alarm, that's best. But of course, in some situations, you might have to go off to work or you might be meditating during a lunch break or something like that. So where you need an alarm, go ahead and do it. But, you know, on the evenings or the weekends, whenever you're off work and you don't need an alarm, don't use one. Just sit, meditate, and then when you're done, you're done. And if you'd like to know how long you meditated for, just look at the time before and look at the time afterwards, but no need to have an alarm running while you're actually meditating. Your frequency, as I mentioned, should be about two to three times a day. That's what you'd like to build up to. And if you're not there now, it's okay, but keep making efforts, keep striving, keep applying dedication and energy towards building up your practice where you can be meditating two to three times a day. This is where you're going to see the most benefits. If you meditated once a day, that might be a good starting point, but that's not what's going to produce enlightenment. So even though that might be where you're starting, just know that you're working towards building up to two or three times a day. If you're noticing sleepiness during your meditation, you can take a couple of different approaches. One is you might just need to go to sleep and just sleep because that's what the body and the mind needs. You haven't been getting enough rest. As you started meditating, become very, very sleepy and there's just no other way around it. Just go to sleep and get some rest. This is kind of common when somebody first starts meditating. The mind can be heavily polluted. It can be heavily defiled. And as you start meditating, you can just become utterly sleepy for three, four, five, six months. But eventually you'll work through that. And if you get to a point where you would like to move past the sleepiness and no longer give in to that, like maybe you know that you've given your body and the mind enough rest, but the mind just becomes sleepy, you might decide to change positions. If you're in the seated or lying positions, you might choose to do standing or walking positions. This is how you get the mind to be more attentive and alert by just changing positions. So if you sit down, you're meditating for five or 10 minutes, you notice you're falling asleep, there's nothing wrong with standing up or switching to walking. Just because you started with seated doesn't mean you have to stay in seated. So feel free to move your meditation position around based on sleepiness or even based on pain. If you're feeling pain in the body from sitting cross leg, you can switch your positions. As you're meditating, you may notice physical sensations during the meditation. You might notice tingling in the body. You might notice that the head feels like it's larger and smaller. You might notice itches or scratches, different parts of your body. Those things are all impermanent. They're all temporary. If you can train the mind to be unaffected by those during meditation, that's really good for the mind. So if you're meditating and you just have this sensational itch that arises, just observe that it's impermanent and try to go 5, 10, 20 seconds and try to go the whole life cycle of that sensation to the point where your mind is unaffected by it. But if you can only go five seconds and then you have to itch it, okay, go ahead and do that. But then next time, try to go longer and longer and longer to the point where the mind is unaffected by these physical sensations that are arising in the body. This can be very beneficial for the mind. 
even if you have little flies in the room or little gnats or something buzzing around you, if you can get used to being unaffected by the sound of that and just continuing to stay focused on the breath, this is gonna help you in daily life that when there's certain sounds that you disagree with, certain things that the mind doesn't like, you'll be able to block that out and ignore it and be unaffected by it because you've trained that in meditation. So when you hear that sound or when you feel those physical sensations, then use that as an opportunity to more deeply train the mind to be unaffected by these sensations that are arising. Same thing with visual stimulation. If you notice flashes of light or colors or things like this while you're meditating, just be unaffected by it. This is normal. As the mind is awakening, you can experience all kinds of visual stimulation. Sometimes people feel like they're special because this happens, the arrogance and conceit or pride kicks in. They wanna talk to their teacher about all these miraculous things that they saw during meditation. This is all normal. Just remain unaffected by it and stay focused on the breath. These visual things are just the mind doing what it does, producing all kinds of colors and sensations and different things, and just continue to stay focused on the breath. You can ask me about them if you like, but my response is gonna be just ignore it, stay focused on the breath. And if you feel this sensational urge to go around and tell everybody about all these miraculous things that are happening during your meditation, this is that arrogance, the pride, the conceit kicking in, and you would like to stamp that out and eliminate that as well. So don't give in to that urge to go out and tell everybody about all these miraculous things that are happening during your meditation. And then lastly, if you're currently meditating with music or mala beads or candles or any things like this, maybe scents that are in your space where you meditate, I suggest that you gradually move the mind away from those because the mind's going to get fixed and dependent on these things. It's going to get attached to this and it's going to want to meditate only when you have mala beads or only when you've got music playing or only when that special candles burning or only when there's that special scent that you're introducing into the environment. What you would like to do is train the mind to only need three things when you meditate the body, the mind, and the breath. The body, the mind, and the breath. That's all you need. And you're always gonna have those three things with you. Now, when you're just starting out, if you need to listen to the recordings that I've made with guidance to kind of guide you in meditation for the first two, three, four, five months, or however long, that's fine. That's what you're using to kind of ramp up your practice. But just know that you're gonna need to phase that out at some point where maybe you go one session with it and one session without it, one session with it, one without, and then eventually one session with it, two or three without, one session with it, two or three without, and then just keep expanding this more and more to the point where you just don't need the music, the mala beads, the candle, the scents, or anybody even talking to you or guiding you in meditation. Because sometimes the way people think of meditation is that someone needs to be talking to you the entire time of meditation. But this is just the mind trying to hold on, that craving, desire, attachment. It's trying to hold on to something. And you're trying to get it to the point where it doesn't do that, where it's just the body, the mind, and the breath. And that's where you would really like to build up your practice two to three times a day, 
30 minutes or more, just the body, the mind, and the breath. And that's going to take a lot of work to get that there. But as you do, you're going to see the benefits slowly but surely, so you'll know you're on the right path. That's why you don't believe what I'm sharing with you here. Instead, you go out and you practice it, and you see the truth for yourself that what I'm sharing with you works. And when you see that, then you have wisdom to know how to actually meditate because you're going to see the discontentedness in the mind slowly decrease. Things that used to once create frustration or anger in the mind no longer have that. Maybe you're just a little annoyed. And then eventually you get to the point where it's the same situation, but you don't feel any discontentedness at all. And that's how you know what you're learning and you're practicing is the truth because your discontentedness slowly decreases. So don't believe what I'm sharing with you here. Instead, go out and practice it so that you can see the truth for yourself. And as you do this, be sure that you never, ever give up because it's very easy to get disgruntled or complacent or feel guilty or shameful in your meditation practice, especially if you haven't meditated for two or three days, even though you heard your teacher say to meditate two or three times a day, but yet you haven't meditated for two or three days, you might feel a little guilty, a little bit shameful, set all that stuff aside. We've all been through that, right? I went two or three years one time without meditating. It was the worst two or three years of my life pretty much, but that's what I ended up doing for a period of time. So if you've gone two or three days without meditating, don't allow that to become two or three weeks or two or three months or like I ended up doing two or three years. So stay dedicated to your practice, never give up and know that you're moving in the right direction. And these are words from the Buddha where he says, meditate monks or meditate students, do not be complacent lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. Because when you're angry and frustrated and irritated and you're just oh, so discontent, that's when you're going to regret not meditating, right? So the Buddha never puts pressure on people. He never guilts, shames, or fears people into meditating or doing any of his other teachings. But this is the one teaching where I seen him kind of like, kind of give a little bit of a, a little bit of a push and says, hey, if you don't meditate, you're going to regret it later. And you surely will when your mind becomes discontent. So be sure that you're actively working on your practice and know that your practice is impermanent. You're going to have two or three weeks of really deep meditation. You're going to feel like everything's working so well. Oh my goodness, the concentration is just so amazing. But if you think that way, those pleasant feelings, then your meditation is going to change. It's not going to be that way. And now you're going to experience painful feelings. So if you're experiencing deep concentration during your meditation and you feel like it's going well, excellent. It's not going to be that way forever because it's impermanent. And then if you feel your meditation is a bit rocky, it's not quite feeling beneficial as it used to, that's not permanent either. You just got to work through that rough patch and get to the other side. So you just keep working through your meditation and your meditation practice is going to be up and down like this. And that's completely normal because it's impermanent. Even your meditation practice is impermanent. 
So let me just pause here, see what questions you guys have, and then we'll do some breathing mindfulness meditation together. We have a question from Biplot. In meditation, when we feel some pain and want to change position, if we allowed it, is it craving? No, that's not craving. If you feel pain in the body, that's the body's way of saying, hey, Biplod, there's something wrong here. The knee doesn't feel comfortable or the ankle doesn't feel comfortable. And that's the body sending a signal to the mind, hey, fix this. Just like if you walk too close to a fire and you felt heat and you chose to pull away from the fire. That's not craving desire attachment. That's a wise decision to not be close to the fire. So if you feel pain in the body during meditation, change the body position, shift a bit until you get comfortable. I actually know a monk here in Thailand who everybody says is enlightened and spending time with him, I would say that he was enlightened as well. He actually went a period of time for seven days where he meditated continuously for seven days. Never slept, never ate, never drank, never laid down, nothing, just seated position for seven days. Well, he actually can't really walk now. He actually has to have other people helping him to walk. He can't even walk with a cane or a walker or anything. He has to have two or three people helping him to walk. Well, it's wonderful that he attained enlightenment, but you know we don't need to damage our physical body to create that. And the Buddha taught us that as part of his path to enlightenment because the first two years of his training, he was taught to cause pain to the physical body. And he observed how that doesn't lead to enlightenment. And that's when he went off on his own. So use the Buddha's teachings here that the body doesn't have to be in physical pain in order to attain enlightenment. In fact, it's just the opposite. You need to show loving kindness and compassion to this body. There's nowhere in the Buddhist teachings ever that he talks about having the body be in physical pain during meditation or at any other time. So don't ever feel like you need to be in pain during this path to enlightenment. Manal has a question, so let's go to her next. Hi, Teacher David. So I do understand that the enlightened mind no longer craves permanence, and it's important to keep in mind to, in our path, to remain unaffected by the impermanent nature of conditioned thoughts or feelings. Uh, wanted to ask you if there would ever be a time or um, place in one's life on the path where they're able to see unconditioned um, experiences or, or experiences which clearly um, identify um, that this is unconditioned joy. Yeah, if you're just sitting around and you're just inwardly joyful with a smile on your face and if somebody said like why are you smiling so much i don't know just just smiling there's no rhyme or reason there's no condition that's created the smile or the joy it's just there it's just always present and that's what an enlightened mind is going to experience that there is no arising of this joy there's no changing of it and there's no fading away of it And what happens as somebody is making their way on this path is you see these glimpses where you might get a couple of hours or a couple of days 
or even a couple of weeks, even at some points, maybe a couple of months, where you see that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy come in. Or you might see different aspects of that. You might see the peace come in for a few hours or a few days, or you might see the joy come in for a few hours or a few days. And as you get those glimpses, they're not going to be based on any condition whatsoever. They're still might fade. They still might change. But that's just because the discontentedness comes in and kind of pollutes the mind and takes it out of that unconditioned joy. The mind's not yet fully enlightened. It's just getting these glimpses in the jhanas and in the first, second, third stage of enlightenment. It's getting these glimpses at what enlightenment looks like. So you might experience these unconditioned, peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy at different times, like a light flickering before you experience a year or two with no discontentedness whatsoever. And that's where you'll know for sure, okay, the mind looks like it's enlightened but you're not going to try to convince yourself of that. You're not going to have pride or arrogance that that's occurred. You're just going to know that hmm, it's been good two, three, four years since I've experienced any discontentedness. That's pretty cool. Okay. But as soon as you get prideful or as soon as you're like, oh, I'm not having discontentedness, so I feel happy. Oh, that's a condition. The mind is getting this happiness based on the condition of not experiencing discontentedness. So it's not yet enlightened. So you just have to get to the point where, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, no discontentedness for the last two or three years. Nice to see all this work is paying off. So you have to train the mind to not even get excited about the fact that you've eliminated discontentedness. Seems to be all the questions we have for now, David. Okay, so let's go ahead and do breathing mindfulness meditation together so that you guys can experience this. This is what we'll typically do on our Wednesdays. And two Wednesdays from now, we'll just go straight into breathing mindfulness meditation. So go ahead and make your lower body comfortable. If that means you're on the floor with cross legs or you're in a chair like I am here, up to you how you sit. Everyone doesn't have to be in the exact same position. That would be permanence, not possible. If you're in a chair, you might have your ankles crossed or you might have your feet flat on the floor. Totally up to you. Make that upper body nice and straight and erect. Put your right hand over your left with your thumbs together. And if that feels comfortable for you in your lap, then use that. But if that doesn't feel comfortable, Maybe place your palms on your thighs or your knees. Maybe the arms go on the armrest. Wherever your hands and arms feel comfortable, it's almost like they just don't exist. You just would like them to be completely disengaged. So the lower body and the hands and arms are completely unengaged. The upper body, you're maintaining the erectness of the spine, which keeps that employee comfortable but yet engaged, so it'll take us to go see the boss, the mind. So close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady, consistent breaths. Breathing in and out. 
breathing in and out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm giving. So you just breathe in naturally. Breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then wherever you're ready, transition to the exhale, out through the nose. Breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chanting just to ease us into meditation, setting up mindfulness in front of us. You're welcome to join in with the chants if you know these, or just continue to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose, establishing a nice natural breath.
should be breathing in through the nose in out through the nose this should be a nice natural steady consistent breath don't try to control it don't try to force it just a nice gradual inhale and exhale breathing in and out now start to focus the mind on the breath the sound of the breath or sensation of the air moving into the nose this is the present moment focus the mind fixate the mind on the breath the present moment breathing in and out wherever you notice the mind is not on the breath cut that off let it go come back to the breath no need to feel guilty or shameful you haven't done anything wrong that's just the mind having craving it's longing cut it off let it go and come back to the breath the present moment breathing in and out the mind may even want to hold on to this voice I'm going to be quiet so that you can do the work go inward observe the breath fixate the mind on the breath wherever you notice it's not on the breath cut that off let it go Come back to the breath. Breathing in and out. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
start to make your way out of meditation, the mind may want to determine if that was a good meditation or a bad meditation. This is how the unenlightened mind typically works. It wants to label things. It wants to consider that either a good meditation or a bad meditation. Don't fall into that trap. Just look at it as, I just meditated. That's it. Just train the mind. Don't try to label it as either good or bad, because if you label your meditations as good, then that means when you label them as bad, you're going to feel guilty, shameful, sad, frustrated, irritated. So as you're making your way through your meditation and as you come out of your meditation, don't try to determine if it was a good or a bad meditation. Focus on the breath. Focus on training the mind to stay focused on the breath and if you're having trouble doing that just know that you need more training that the mind wasn't consistently on the breath that's it 
right? The unenlightened mind is going to continue to long and have yearning and look for something else. It's not going to want to be in the present moment. It's also going to want to judge and label things, categorize things. This is part of the problem. Whenever you meditate, just meditate and just know that it's beneficial. Because if we did label our meditation, sometimes you have to go through three, four, five, six weeks of meditation that feels rough and doesn't feel as smooth to get to the other side of that where things feel more smooth. If it wasn't for that roughness, you would have never gotten to the smoothness. So don't get disgruntled and disparage yourself thinking that your meditation is good or bad. Just look at it as I just meditated and it is what it is and it just needed to be whatever it was. And if the mind was busy and chattery, okay, now you know that the mind was busy and chattery. Or if the mind was calm and peaceful and focused, okay, so now you know that. But don't think of it as a good or a bad meditation. Just think of it as meditation. So let me see if you guys have any questions on anything we discussed today. I just decided to do kind of a shorter meditation session so that we could focus on learning the things that I talked about before meditation and then give you guys a little bit more time at the end for additional questions if you guys have any. So David, if we're unfamiliar with meditation or we're beginning to become acquainted with it, there may be this thought that meditation is for having this experience, this positive experience, this de-stressing experience, even this slight high that one may feel when they're having a meditation. But is it more accurate to say that this is a misconception and meditation is really a practice to assist us in the other parts of our life outside of meditation? Yeah, I agree with that second part that you're talking about, James, because sometimes, you know, when we get into something new, you know, we get all this craving, desire, attachment. I want to play hockey or I want to ice skate or I want to play basketball or I want to drive a car or I want to do any particular activity. We get all this craving, desire, attachment built up in the mind. And we think that that object of our affection is what's going to ultimately complete us. And that's going to make everything perfect in the world. But in reality, that's the mind chasing those pleasant feelings. The mind can do the same thing with meditation. It can think, ah, this is that thing that's going to complete me and make everything wonderful. And all this craving, desire, attachment can get built up around this obsession to have pleasant feelings associated with meditation. But in reality, when you're done with meditation, it should just be flat. The mind should just be flat, even keeled. So if you're meditating in order to get these pleasant feelings, this elation, this thrill, then that means you're going to sometimes swing to the other side where the mind's going to be sad or frustrated or bored or lonely. So you're kind of setting yourself up to fail if you look at meditation as that object of your affection to get some thrill or some excitement or euphoric experience out of meditation you're setting your mind up to experience that painful side as well. So essentially, you're going into meditation. You're just going to meditate. It is what it is. Done and move on. It doesn't mean you don't apply attention. You don't apply effort and energy because you certainly need to. You certainly need to apply those things, actively engage in your meditation. 
but you shouldn't be looking for this euphoric state. You should be looking for just an even keelness. And even sometimes when you're first starting for the first many months, when you're done with meditation, the mind can be more busy and more active after meditation than it was before meditation. And that's kind of common and you just kind of know where you're at. But over time, more and more, you kind of bring this mind to the middle and kind of gather it up to the point where after meditation, it's just even keel. That's the best way to approach this rather than try to judge or determine if it's good or bad or look at meditation as being this way to create thrill or excitement in your life. I thought it was a great point that you made that even if we have what we may be inclined to feel or unproductive meditation sessions, those are simply a part of the path toward having more productive ones. And that's a very important part of this whole practice. Yeah, when the mind is shaken up, when it's going through those rough patches, whether it's in meditation or outside of meditation, that's when it's doing the most work. That's when it's really uncomfortable and it's having to regain its contentedness. If you're going inward and you're looking inward and you're reflecting on those rough patches, whether it's in meditation or outside, that's where you can actually gain a lot of wisdom so that you'll never experience that again. And that's where you move this mind to the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because if you're gonna go through this rough patch with meditation or even outside of meditation, learn everything that you can learn during that experience and gain as much wisdom as you can gain during that experience so that then you can make wise decisions to no longer experience that ever again. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and it's become very rough and very hostile and very uncomfortable for you and or that person, then use that as a time to look at the relationship and decide what things need to shift here, what things need to change, Do I need to kind of move on and leave this relationship behind? And if you do that inward searching and investigating and gain the wisdom of what's causing this relationship to be uncomfortable for you and maybe for the other person, then you gain the wisdom to ensure that any future relationships or any other relationships that you're in, you don't allow those things to happen. You make wise decisions to maintain a healthy relationship. So When you're going through these rough patches, rather than retreat, rather than backslide, rather than turn away from it and run, I always suggest to turn around and walk towards it. You know, walk into those rough patches, roll up the sleeves, get dirty, work with it, reflect, really gain the wisdom. And then when you get to the other side of that, then you're going to have more wisdom of how to make wiser decisions so that those things don't ever happen again. And that's how you ultimately build your wisdom more and more to the point where you can just permanently be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because you've gone through enough of these rough patches where you've gained significant wisdom along the way. Thank you, David. Those are all the questions we have for today. All right. Well, I would like to thank all of you guys for joining today's class. Thank you, moderators, Bassam, James, Manal, for all that you guys do, not just in this class, but all the classes that we have. Any of you guys that have been meditating and practicing these teachings consistently for many months now, you should be seeing some consistent results in your practice. And if you're not, be sure you reach out and get some help. 
If you're just recently joining and you've just recently found us or you just recently clicked on this video as part of a replay uh, and replaying this or listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome. Really glad you're here. There's lots for you to learn. We're getting ready to restart this group learning program in about another four to six weeks. So you're welcome to come in on the tail end of this here and kind of start getting used to meeting on Sunday or Wednesday or listening to the replay. But what's really important is that you download this book so that you can kind of follow along with the chapters because this Sunday we're going to be in chapter 21. And then as we complete all the chapters, which there's only 24 chapters and some additional material at the end, we're going to restart the whole program from the beginning. So if you've taken this program for the first time and you're almost all the way through, you might decide to retake it again or you might decide to move on to the Polycanon in English program, which meets on Saturdays, or you might decide to do both at the same time, the group learning program and that one on Saturdays. But as you consistently slowly build up your practice, maybe reading 10, 15, 20 minutes a day from one of these books, meditating, you know, two or three sessions a day, and then practicing the teachings all day long. As you do this and you gradually build up your practice, you're going to see results. The Buddhist teachings work. So thank you all for dedicating your time to learning and practicing. I'll see you either in class this Sunday or next Wednesday. Have a lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.